How's everybody doing this morning? Good? Great? Awesome? Why don't we give our worship team a hand? Don't they do a great job? I don't think we can congratulate them enough, but they did an amazing job leading us into a time of total surrender to Jesus Christ. Why don't you guys bow your heads with me so we can uh, ask God to be involved in what we're doing and help him, um, and we just need his help as far as him being at the head of uh, what we're doing this morning. Um, Heavenly Father, what a privilege, what an honor it is to be in your house, to worship you. And me personally, I'm so excited to preach your word. Give me the humility to let you give me the words to say. Help me to interpret your word accurately, Father. I pray that everybody will at least get one thing from today. If people get more things, that's awesome. But if everybody can at least get one thing, that one thing will do amazing things for the kingdom. Lord, this is a very important topic that sometimes we take lightly. But we all have this duty to share the good news. This good news that should be in our hearts and our souls, pouring out of us, transforming us. I pray that you just bless the rest of our worship service today. Sometimes we, we overlook the gospel message and we're like, oh, it's great that, that Jesus died for us, okay, I'm just going to go on with my life. But help us to really examine what the gospel means for us today and every day. In your money, precious name. Amen. Growing up over the years, I've always had a lot of respect for people that have to be on call with their jobs, whether they're doctors or firefighters or, or EMTs or nurses, because they have to be in this mindset, you know, where they're like, okay, I can chill out, I can go on with my life, but at the same time, I have to have in the back of my mind that I'm going to get that call, where I'm going to have to know how to react, I'm going to have to know how to communicate with the people around me. It reminds me of when I used to play baseball. I was a catcher because I was ADD. I couldn't be in the outfield. I couldn't be at third base because I'd be picking dandelions because the ball, you know, doesn't come to you all the time. When you're a catcher, you're, you're touching the ball probably like 90% of the time. But when I was out in the field like two times in my life, the coach would say, know what you're going to do with the ball when it's hit to you. Always have in the back of your mind what you're going to do with the ball. And that's the kind of mentality people have to have when they're on call when they're a nurse or a doctor or an EMT or an apartment, apartment maintenance man. That's true. You know, toilets flood at 2 in the morning. they got to get up and do what they need to do. But as Christians, do we have this kind of mentality where we know that we're, we're on call? Where we have to have it in the back of our minds that, you know... At a certain point in time, we're going to have to talk about Jesus. Somebody's going to want to get in a conversation about Jesus. Are we going to be ready? Are we going to know how to communicate the message of Jesus Christ? How Jesus Christ has changed us and moved us and transformed us? Because, as I've, told, I've said before, the gospel is the good news. It's good news. When we have good news, we want to share it with people. When the Redskins win, we want to share it because it doesn't happen often. So we've got to share it with people. I heard an amen. God bless you. All right. So we all have good news that we like to share. Somebody gets married, which happened not too long ago. I didn't mean to embarrass you guys, but I was going to do it anyways. Um, you know, people are born. We want to share these things with people. 
But sometimes, why don't we have this kind of enthusiasm about the gospel? It's the good news. We're dirty, nasty, filthy, scabby sinners in need of a Savior. And Jesus came to a messy world for messy people and died on messy death. So we didn't have to be slaves of sin and eternal punishment for eternity. That's pretty good news, right? It's amazing news. But we overlook it so much. How does this gospel message change you? And if it does change you, you're going to have this on-call mentality. Where you're going to be asking yourselves, when am I going to have that opportunity to share the good news? Now there's a lot of different crowds we're talking to today. You have that group of people, I've heard this 80 billion times, I don't need to know how to share the gospel, but I believe the word of God never returns void. I believe that the word of God is living and active. The word of God is always speaking something to you, whether you've heard it 80 billion times or twice. So just bear with us. You might learn something new. Then there's those of us that are getting hit by a, a two-by-four from God. And we're like, I've been in church my whole life. You know, I've been arguing about church leadership. I've been debating about Calvinism versus Arminianism. I've been arguing about you know, premillennialism and the justification of the penal substitutionary. I just made that up. But you get my point. There's so many people in church that they'll, they'll argue about so many things in Scripture, but they don't even know how to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. And it's really sad. If a lot of the world were that excited about spreading Jesus, I think Christ would have been back already. Because the Bible says that Christ is slow in coming because he doesn't want anybody to perish. So I think Christ would have been back if we were that excited. And, and there's a lot of people that aren't that excited. And we need that excitement. We need to have that attitude of wanting to share Jesus all the time. And we've got to have that on-call kind of mentality. There's some of you also that have never even heard of Jesus. You're like, what is this Jesus stuff? This is very foreign to me. Well, this is for you too. We might convert some people today, which might be exciting. So there's a little bit of something for everybody today. We're going to be talking about the bridge model. This is a very basic model for sharing your faith. There's many different models out there. This isn't a one-size-fits-all um, kind of model. But just bear with us. Maybe you can get a few things out of this. Um, maybe you can look into this a little more. Maybe there's some things you can add, which is okay. But this is a good starting point if you have no idea on how to share the gospel. And more importantly, are we concerned about people going to hell? Is anybody concerned about people going to hell? You know, are, are people concerned about people dying for eternity spiritually, being tortured for eternity spiritually. If that moves you, then you're going to want to talk about the gospel. Because there's another group of people that are like, I don't think it's my job to share the gospel. I don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism. I don't have the gift to go on, you know, street corners. I don't have the gift to go on TV. Well, do you believe the Bible? Do you, be do you believe the Bible is in the inerrant, the authoritative word of God? Do you believe it's God-breathed? Do you believe it's living and active? And it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart? Because Jesus commands us to go and preach the gospel, whether evangelism is your spiritual gift or not. Because everybody has a circle of influence where they need to share the gospel, where they have to be prepared, where they have to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that they have, like 1 Peter 3.15 says.
There's a little something called the Great Commission. Some of you guys have heard of it, right? You know, some of you have been hearing it since you were born. You know, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's sort of a command from Jesus, you know, so it's pretty important. You've got to show the gospel if you can make disciples, right? In the last chapter in Mark, Jesus is talking to his disciples before he leaves to go to heaven, and he says, go and preach my gospel. You know, and, and you need to read the, you know, the, the fine print of the contract with the red letters, because we know Jesus spoke in red, right? And that's in, the, that's in the fine print with the red letters. Go and preach the gospel. Go make disciples of all nations. So if you think that you don't have to evangelize at all, you're wrong. You're totally wrong. So I pretty much hit on like every presupposition, you know, that people have going into this message. I, I was a little convicted myself. I'm like, nobody's going to want to listen to this. You know, this is basic elementary teaching. And but then God hit me with a two by four. He's like, man, there's not enough people that get excited about the gospel. There's not enough people in church that even think about how they're sharing the gospel. There's a lot of people that don't even know an understandable way of how to share the gospel. Because some people have been in church so long, they don't know how to simplify things. You know, and they like to use big words like they're a college professor at a Bible college and it doesn't get them anywhere. So right now I'm going to shut up and I'm going to walk you guys through the bridge illustration. So... You got my rant about you know all the different presuppositions. So let's jump into this. All right. So the two most theological tools you will use in spreading the gospel with the bridge model is a pen and a piece of paper. You didn't think a pen and a piece of paper could be so theological, did you? But it is. So we're going to look at our first slide. This is going to take a lot of artwork, okay? You're going to draw the word us on one side. Then you're going to draw the word God on the other side. Okay, is everybody with me? You don't have to have a lot of artistic talent to draw us, to draw God. We're going to go on the next slide. There's a gap between us and God. There's this disconnect between us and God. See, Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all guilty of eternal punishment. We've all been in front of the judge, and the judge has already said we're guilty. Because we're dirty, nasty, filthy, scabby sinners. Here's the thing. A lot of times we try to find our own way to God, and it doesn't work. I need the next slide with the, with the handsome stick figure there. My buddy's scratching his head. He's like, how do I get to the other side? How do I get this relationship with God? You know, in Ecclesiastes 3.11, the Bible says that man's heart longs for eternity. I think it's inside the heart of every man and woman to long for eternity. A lot of us try different ways to get there. You know, a lot of us try good works. A lot of us try morality. A lot of us try generosity. A lot of us try philosophy. But we find out that those efforts just lead us to physical death and spiritual death. We're all going to die a physical death. But if we try to get to God with our own efforts, we're going to have some spiritual death, too. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God 
is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, when we work, we want a wage. Some wages are better than others, but we want something in return if we're going to put our time into a job so we can make a living. You see, we get a wage when we try to reach God with our own efforts. And that wage is death. It's not just physical death, but it's spiritual death. Because at the beginning of creation, we decided to make the wrong choice. God gave us a choice. He had to give us a choice. If we didn't get a choice, we wouldn't willfully love God. It would be hard to willfully love somebody if you're forced to love somebody, right? You wouldn't be doing it out of your good own heart. And God's like, I want to give you guys a choice. And the first humans made the wrong choice. They sinned. And that's why we have all this negativity in the world. And one of the biggest things that people argue about with the existence of God is like, why would a loving God take my son away? Why would a loving God have all these disasters? Why would a loving God cause me to lose my job? Why would a loving God do all these horrible things? But we screwed up. We brought it upon ourselves. We made the wrong choice. And that's why we're guilty of spiritual death and physical death. And that's why we've earned this wage of death because of our sinful nature. But there is hope. There is hope. Jesus kicked death in the face. Jesus owned death in the face. Jesus created a bridge. So even though the wage for sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus gives us this awesome gift of eternal life. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus knew that we were going to turn his back on him once in a while. Jesus knew we were going to do a lot of dumb things. Jesus knew that there was a lot of people doing dumb things when he was around. Jesus knew that a lot of people were going to persecute him. But he still decided to die. A lot of people do a lot of dumb things to us, and we can't even say we're, you know, going to have some forgiveness, you know, with these people. You know, people cut us off in traffic, and we want to say every word in the book. People cut us in the line at Walmart, and we got to give this nasty face, and we got to, you know, think of every evil thing we can do to them. But Jesus took on our pain for sin. Jesus knew that people were going to turn his back on him. Jesus knew that people were going to do a lot of horrible things to him, but he decided to die for us anyways. Isn't that crazy? Doesn't that put all your little petty arguments in perspective? Doesn't that put all your little petty grudges in perspective? When you think of Jesus and his death, everything else is nothing compared to what he had to go through and what he did for us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I know this is like the poster, like Sunday school verse. This was always the verse that I would say when I didn't know what my favorite verse was. I always had John 3.16 in the back of my pocket. You know, 
Or if I had to give a devotion, you know, for a class, I'm like, John 3.16. You know, and, and you got a lot of, like, athletes quoting John 3.16 to show everybody to have a moral conscience, and then they're cussing somebody out two seconds later. But do we really grasp that verse? Do we really see the significance in the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son? He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Could you guys give up your son for death? Could you give up any of your children for death? Probably not. Could you die for somebody? A lot of us won't even do anything nice for anybody half the time, but none of us would die for somebody, let alone give up our own child. So knowing that we're dirty, nasty, filthy, scabby sinners, we have a Savior that created a bridge so we didn't have to face spiritual death from living life our own way. I know this concept of a bridge is a sensitive subject for a lot of us because a lot of people have burned bridges with us in our lives. And we've burned a lot of bridges with other people. But this bridge is never going to burn. This bridge is going to stay because Christ is a solid rock. He doesn't move. He doesn't budge. He's there for you. So that's why we need to take that leap of faith. We need to encourage people to cross that bridge. So how do we get people to cross that bridge? How do we get people to take that leap of faith? First, they have to receive it. It's a free gift. Who likes free stuff? I remember enjoying free stuff in college. There was a Mexican restaurant in my college town, and if you just ordered a soda, they gave you free chips and salsa. So every Sunday afternoon, there was no dinner in the cafeteria. Me and my buddies, we just gorge on chips and salsa. Just order a soda, and that was about it. Our, our, hey, you guys are been to Fazoli's? Free breadsticks? If you order soda, they come by with the free breadsticks. So. I could get like a three-course meal from paying like six bucks. It was amazing. Uh, I remember one time uh, when I was in college, uh, the bowling alley in my town where I went to school, they would give coupons for free bowling games. And they leave about 40 of them in our mail room. And I grabbed about 50 of them. And like we'd sort of space it out so it didn't look obvious. You know, we'd go every like four to five weeks. You know, but I don't think we were playing it off real well, but you know, they didn't want to fight that battle. So I know about free stuff. I know how awesome free stuff is. You know, and this awesome gift of Jesus Christ is free. This amazing gift that we can't even wrap our minds around is free. We just got to encourage people to reach out and grab it. But I think sometimes we focus so much on the fact that you don't have to do anything to accept Jesus, but we don't emphasize that when you have Jesus in your life, it is about works. You know, works don't make you a Christian, but who you are makes you a Christian, and if you know who you are in Christ, you're going to have works. You know, it's like if, you know, you get a dog as a free gift. If you receive this free dog, there's a lot of responsibility that's going to come with receiving this free gift. You've got to clean the thing, you've got to feed the thing, it's going to go to bathroom all over the place. There's a lot of responsibility. So it's a free gift, but you've got to look at the responsibility that comes with the free gift. I remember getting Legos, you know. If Legos are just sitting in a box, you're not going to get the full experience out of the Legos, right? you got to take them out of the box. you got to do something with them. 
I remember there was this set of building stuff called the erector set, if you guys remember that. And it, it said assembly required. And, and a lot of gifts are like that. They say assembly required. So there's a lot of free gifts, but you have to do something with these free gifts to get the full experience out of them. There's some responsibility that comes with free gifts. So it is a free gift, but we have to emphasize the fact that once you get this free gift, there's some responsibility. You have to die to yourself. You have to be a living sacrifice. You have to pick up your cross. I don't think we emphasize that enough. Sometimes we're so big on the grace message, we're so big on this free gift, but we don't talk about the responsibility of taking a free gift sometimes. Because there are free gifts that require a little bit of responsibility. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So Ephesians tells us this is a free gift. There are no works on this planet that can earn you this free gift. Because it's by God's grace that you can have this free gift. It's by God's unmerited favor that we don't deserve that allows us to have this free gift. Once we received this opportunity to accept Christ, we repent. I was a youth pastor in western Illinois, and uh, we were going to a place called Adventureland. It's near um, Des Moines, Iowa. So if anybody's familiar with the Midwestern area. It was this big theme park, and there's nothing exciting in Illinois or Iowa, so this was a big deal. This was like going to Disney World. So we're on our way back from Adventureland, and every five seconds we had two kids that had to go to the bathroom. It was always the same two kids that had to go to the bathroom all the time. And after about the fifth time, we find an exit, and like the gas station was like 12 miles from this exit. If you ever go to Iowa, there's a lot of exits where everything takes about 12 to 15 miles to find it. So we find this, this gas station. On the way back, we make a wrong turn. We find that we, we've been going the wrong direction. It's late at night, and there's nothing in Iowa, so it's hard to find where you are. And uh, we find a, a U-turn area, but lo and behold, there's like a sign that says no U-turn, and like, so I'm a good youth pastor, and I kept on going, no, I didn't, I made the U-turn. <laughs> and I'm like, it may be another 30 miles till I go turn around again. So I'm like, I'm going to take this. And I'm like, oh, you guys better be quiet. We're not going anywhere after this. If you guys open your mouths, I didn't say that, but they were pretty cool about it. But I had to realize that I was going the wrong way. I had to put the pride aside. I had to make that U-turn in my life. Or I had to make that U-turn, you know, in Iowa, so we could get back on the right track. Repentance is realizing, hey, I've gone the wrong way. I'm going the wrong direction. I need to make the right direction. I need to make that U-turn. I need to go one direction. I can't look back. I need to have a change of heart and a change of mind. And I have to realize that Christ is going to walk me through that process. And once you repent... We have to confess that Jesus is the Lord of our life. The word used for Lord in the New Testament means master. So if you're going to confess that Jesus is the Lord of your life, he's the master of your life. He has every part of your life. 
He owns every part of your life. If you remember the story of Jesus talking to the rich man, you know, the rich man's like, I've followed every commandment, Jesus. What else do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, why don't you sell everything you have? He's like, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can take that step. And a lot of people think that passage is just about, you know, giving your possessions away. That passage is about Jesus being the Lord of your life. Jesus being the master of your life. Are you going to give Jesus 90% of your life? Or are you going to give Jesus 100% of your life? Are you going to let him be the master? Are you going to tell people? Are you going to shout to the rooftops that Jesus is the Lord of your life? He can have everything. I'm not going to hold anything back from him. People need to hear that. People need to know, hey, I'm with Jesus. Do you remember those brothers or sisters you had growing up that you didn't want to be associated with? You're like, I'm not related to this person. I know my brothers did a lot of stupid things. I'm like, I don't want anything to do with them. But we can't be like that with Jesus. We have to say, hey, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Savior. Because here's another reality. The Bible says that God won't acknowledge us if we don't acknowledge Him. Pretty deep stuff, but it's true. God won't acknowledge us if we don't acknowledge Him. So we have to confess. We have to let people know that Jesus is the Lord of our life. That He owns our life. We can't let anything back to Jesus. So we go on to the next step. Being baptized. Being baptized. This is the step where we make that signature at the end of the contract. You're like, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. I'm ready to take that step. I'm ready to wash my old life away. I'm ready to, to have this new life where I'm taking part in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. I know there's a lot of debate about baptism with a lot of churches. Some people are like, well, you know what? You don't have to be baptized to be a Christian. And some people, you know, it's like, if you're baptized, that's okay. It doesn't matter what else you do. You know, as long as you're baptized, and, you know, if you really have a repentant heart, if you're really making Jesus the Lord of your life, if you're willing to receive Jesus Christ, you're not going to look for loopholes out of baptism. It's a command. Jesus did to fulfill all righteousness. It's the only time in the Bible where, you know, you have this experience where you're taking part in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. You're washing away your old life, and you're starting a new life. 1 Peter 3.21 says, And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's not the water that saves you, it's Jesus working through baptism that saves you. Because by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have the power to wash away your old life and have a new life. And you're doing this because you have a repentant heart, because you confess that Jesus is the Lord of your life and you receive Christ. And when we do these four things, 
we have assurance. After we do these four things, we cross the bridge. We have this relationship with God. And we have assurance. We have assurance in knowing that God's God. He's always going to love us. He's always going to be there for us. And he's going to promise us eternal life if we stay connected to him. 1 John 5.13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So when we take that step to have a relationship with Jesus, we have assurance that God is going to be there for us, that he's always going to love us, that he's always going to use us if we stay faithful to him. And we will have eternal life. We'll also have the Holy Spirit. When we have this assurance, we also know that we have the Holy Spirit fighting for us. The Holy Spirit is called the Advocate, the Counselor. The Holy Spirit counsels us. The Holy Spirit is our Advocate that fights in defense for us. So we don't have to go on this walk alone. We have the living, moving, breathing God inside of us. The Bible says the Spirit is life, but the flesh flesh counts for nothing. The Spirit is life. Acts 2.38 says, Peter replied, Repent be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit's a gift, also. You receive the Holy Spirit when you have that repentant heart, when you receive Christ, when you confess that Jesus is the Lord of your life. And you take that plunge. You wash away your old life. And you start a new one. And once we realize that the Holy Spirit is inside of us, once we know that the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of us, we have strength for living. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That word crucified really creates graphic imagery. It really hits you in the heart. We've been crucified with Christ. We have nailed down our old life with Christ. And now Christ lives in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have this GPS living inside of us, guiding us. We have this, this antivirus inside of us, helping us to stay you know, pure and holy before God. I know there's a lot of content, but this is the bridge model. Like I said, there's other models. Um, it's not a one-size-fits-all. This is a starting point if you don't know where to begin. But there's the verses, too, also. Um, if you want to write down the verses that are associated with each step. But here's the deal. This isn't going to be a storybook kind of process. You know, Some people are going to be struggling with you know, certain steps. <laughs> You know, some people might be struggling with the receive part. Some people might be struggling with the repent part. Other people might be struggling with the confess part. There might be a lot of skepticism. You've got to have the patience to walk somebody through this. Some people may not even want to hear about it at all. But know that you're not going to bring everybody to Jesus. That's a humility that you have to learn as far as being a Christian. You're not going to bring everybody to Jesus. You may plant some seeds, you may water some seeds, but the Holy Spirit does the ultimate growing. But that doesn't exempt us from finding those opportunities to share the gospel.
and help people cross that bridge, that bridge that's never going to burn, even though a lot of bridges have been burned in people's lives. Why don't you guys pray with me? Father, I know we covered a lot of content today. There's a lot to take in. But with your help, we can take in all this and we can use it for your glory, for your kingdom, Father. And I pray that you just uh, help us to have open hearts and open minds as we tell people about Christ. Help us to find those opportunities to share the gospel, Father. And help us to find those times to share the gospel and help us to, to preach you know, the gospel to people or share the gospel with people in a way that's humbling, Father. Where it's not about us, it's about you and your power, Father. Uh, we love you and we praise you. I pray that you bless uh, the rest of our worship service and just uh, help us to be excited about the good news. Help us to, to be on call. Help us to have the gospel message in the back of our minds all the time. We have to know what we're going to do with it. In your money and precious name, amen.